It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1 866 We're following everything in Afghanistan, uh, I almost said Afghanistan, uh, in Ukraine, uh, the latest on the fight uh, as they continue to hold out and Kiev gets closer and closer to being surrounded. But if I'm the Ukrainians, I'm not that worried about it as normally I would have been two weeks ago. When you see the lack of gumption and drive the Russians have, I'm not, think, I'm not too sure they're poised. To take a city, especially in the north where the fighting force isn't uh, as strong. Coming up in about a half hour, uh, Tim Tebow with me right now in studio. Best-selling author, William Barr. You know him as Attorney General um, uh, Attorney General under President Trump, who also served under uh, Bush 41. His new book is, uh, is fascinating. It's called One Damn Thing After Another. Mr. Attorney General, welcome to the studio. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Brian. It's great to be with you. First off, we didn't see heard much of you since, the, <laughs> since your tenure ended uh, with the Trump administration. Oh, I had post-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> Did you know – I guess you had to know and after seeing the first year and a half of President Trump's term that you were walking into a firestorm. Did you know – Absolutely. What, what did I, you think? What was it like? Uh, I knew it was, a, a, as you say, a firestorm uh, and I also thought we were potentially headed toward a constitutional crisis with the way uh, the, the Russiagate narrative right. was being handled. Yeah, we'll just move the mic a little bit closer to you. It might be a little bit okay. easier. When did you realize? Because a lot of people on the right that were Trump supporters couldn't figure out what really was the deal with the Russia situation. The Mueller goes underground and we hear rumors about subpoenas and raids and we see this. We didn't know quite what was going on. When did you realize that this was a hoax? Well, I, it wasn't until I got into the government and could get all the information that I became convinced that it was uh, that way. But – I was skeptical uh, about it from the beginning. It just didn't fit. You know, there's no reason why Putin and the Russian intelligence services would have colluded with anyone in the United States. If they wanted to do something and hack into something and dump some documents, they would do it. They don't need to coordinate that with anybody. It would be very risky for them to do that. So it never really fit together with me. uh, And uh, the more I found out about it, the more skeptical I became. From what I've read in the book, you know what my takeaway is? You're like a true conservative. What matters more to you is the country, and what worries you most of all is the progressive line of thought. It doesn't seem like a Democrat. Bill Clinton was centered left. That's called run against issues. Right. What's different now that motivated you in your 70s to get back into government at an extremely difficult time? Yeah, I think that there, there's been a transformational change in the Democratic Party uh, under Obama where it lurched very sharply to the left. And as I say in the book, they're not, this is no longer a family feud between within the family. Uh, I think that the progressive left has left the family. They are not part of the liberal democratic tradition of the United States. Uh, they're trying to tear down our institutions. They're no longer for free speech. Uh, and uh, I think it's a mortal danger to the republic, uh, this progressive agenda, 
And I uh, supported Trump once he got the nomination, and I thought it was important to stop their momentum, which he did. So, um, you think I, in a way that other Republican candidates wouldn't have? Uh, see, uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, in a way, yes. Uh, you know, maybe uh, someone else could have won the election, but uh, he had some traits that I thought fit the times. Uh, and and one of them was the ability to fight back against the establishment, against the mainstream media, not be cowed by them, keep on going, and he could take a punch. He could take a punch like no one I have ever seen and keep going. And those that were the traits that were needed, and he has taught the Republican Party something. Um, he's taught the Republican Party how to fight. I think that's a fair uh, fair to give him credit for that. And uh, I think that that's improved the party going forward. I think there's a lot of positive things about the president. You're willing to accept the fact that he's atypical for a politician. You never saw anyone quite right. like him. You mentioned he can take a punch. He also had clarity of views. Yes. Especially at the border. Things like the border, things about America first. That wasn't just a line in a campaign that some speechwriter put in because it was poll tested or focus group tested. Right. I mean, uh, he had, I sort of call them red meat issues. There were certain issues with him where he took a strong common sense position and he was right about it and nothing could get him off it. And I admired that about him. Crime, the drug war, the cartels in Mexico, the uh, immigration issues, uh, big tech and censorship. These were his uh, issues that he was very uh, fixed on and he was unshakable on them and he had the energy to push them through. What I say is his impulsiveness had some downside to it but it also had an upside and one of his upside was it gave dynamism to the administration and pushed things along. How do you explain the loyalty he generated? Uh, from his base? I think his base – I think uh, that – what happened in 2016 is that a lot of ordinary middle-class, working-class Americans were just fed up with the uh, the smugness of the elites and the excesses of the liberals, uh, the progressives, and they were mad and they wanted to push back and they felt the, the progressives had taken a wrecking, wrecking ball to the country and they wanted their own wrecking ball and they liked the fact he was so plain-spoken and got in their face and he was combative. And that helped him. And he was sort of speaking for them. And that's where I think that loyalty came from. I, I think that – and that's why in, in many cases it's still there and he still yes. polls highest on, amongst Republicans. You said in 2016 you would have crawled across glass to vote for him. Yes. And, and, and just on one issue alone and that was the courts and the, the appointments. and Supreme the, Court too and the, yeah, uh, the, the vacant judgeships. Right. And he delivered on that as he delivered on a lot of what he promised. And uh, just just the courts, in my mind, justified supporting him. I never uh, – I thought – I always thought the never-Trumpers, uh, you know, were 180 degrees wrong. So how, what do you think about the Supreme Court justice pick now? I think they're, they're good. You know, over the long haul, they're going to be good justices, all of them. Uh, you know, the president has this idea that if he picks somebody, they have to vote the way he thinks from then on in perpetuity. That's not the way it works. <laughs> he really believes that though too. <laughs> what, what about Biden's nominee? I don't know uh, much about her but I think she's going to be, you know, uh, probably more left than Breyer was, more to the left than Stephen Breyer. What about the way Breyer was treated at the end? 
yeah, I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty harsh. I think he probably would have liked to stay another year, but uh, they basically retired him yeah. without his permission. <laughs> right. Have you ever seen anything like that? No. Right. Well, you know, Johnson once negotiated someone off the Supreme Court by offering to make his son the Attorney General. So, <laughs> right. You know, sometimes these games are played. Uh, I wanted you to hear uh, a couple of things. We're in the middle of this Russia-Ukraine war. Yeah. You saw a lot of the foundation, the Russian hoax, really laid the foundation for something like this to happen. Because you, we could not make any progress and directly deal with Russia because for two years, Vladimir Putin was looked at as enemy number one of America right. and a close confidant of President Trump, which we now know is not true. Right. In what way did that play into what we're seeing now? Because I think it was very clear uh, during our administration, during President Trump's administration, that the main enemy was China uh, over the long term and that uh, Putin had made it very clear what his red lines were. And what should have happened was an effort to reach some kind of modus vivendi with the Russians, diplomacy, to try to figure out what the framework is for us coexisting with the Russians in Europe going forward. Now, maybe there was a solution. Maybe there wasn't. But 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 uh, Trump's hands were tied by Russiagate. If he even met with behind closed doors or if we tried to negotiate with the Russians, uh, you know, the whole Russiagate thing would have been used against him. Can you imagine if it was during your term, Afghan- we left Afghanistan like this and during your term, Russia invaded the Ukraine? Right. But two biggest disasters. Yeah. President Trump doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, of course. Uh, and then yeah. it's Vladimir, he promised Vladimir Putin in a backdoor room he could have – in a backdoor deal, he could have Ukraine. Right. Now, you know, one of the things I point out in my book is the media has been – the mainstream media has been biased for a long time. And I reminded people how they brought down H.W. Bush. 19 months before the, his reelection in 1992, he was 89 percent popularity and they used the phony Iraq gate scandal and a number of other things to bring them down even though we had economic growth for those 19 months um, and uh, I remind people of that but things are much worse today and that was one of the you know the things that I saw right away when I went back into government 28 years later the press had become even more partisan and more rapid generally speaking Tell me if you think this is an honest assessment of why gas prices are so high. Here's President Biden, who, even though we're in the middle of an oil gas crunch and an energy crisis, went to Texas, where so much energy, oil and gas, uh, the industry Mm -hmm. thrives, and decided to talk about burn pits. But here it was, he answered this one question. The audio is not great, but you can hear it. Cut nine. So the gas prices have, have gone up almost 100 percent since you guys left office. And he says it's Russia's responsible for the gas prices. They started welling up troops a year ago. Is that true? No, obviously not. You know, he's going to use Russia as the excuse. But, uh, you know, he, he has basically uh, destroyed America's uh, energy independence. He doesn't realize you know, the, the fact that the United States is floating in energy – uh, and that is a tremendous benefit to the United States. That allows us going forward to uh, restore uh, American manufacturing, low-cost uh, manufacturing, and uh, it, 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 and brings our, our, our cost of production way down. 
it's good for the middle class and working class to have cheaper energy and yet he's ruined uh, that by essentially putting the kibosh on our energy. Independence. I'll probably put this in the best terms I understand is that there's now a push with Janet Yellen leading to not provide financing for any oil and gas project in America. Right. There's $244 billion in, um, in liquid natural gas stalled right now because they can't get financing to drill and to frack. Right. And Janet Yellen is threatening these institutions that want to yell, that want to finance these oil and gas companies to mine or drill for gas and oil. How, even though it means profits for mutual funds, big and small, and for these companies, how dare you do that in a free market economy? That's right. I mean, all the regulation is skewed against uh, exploiting our natural resources, making us more dependent on other countries for energy. One would have thought we'd learned during COVID how dependence uh, on foreign countries is a dangerous thing. There's nothing more important for our national security than energy independence and our our economy moving forward and and the price of heating homes and so forth. And, is that and, allowed, Mr. Attorney General? Is that allowed to, to tell companies do not invest to, – to financial institutions do not uh, provide financing for X, Y, and Z company to, re, to refine, to drill, to explore? Well, they can game the rules and the regulations and the oversight to create such uncertainty in the regulatory regime that you, you cannot make investments and that's the problem. And, and the Obama administration had the same problem. They don't understand that people have to have predictability in right. the regulatory regime to make these huge investments. Same with R&D when it comes to defense. We yes. can't get our budget together. Uh, the attorney general stay with me one more segment because his book is out. Uh, it's, uh, it's number one, One Damn Thing After Another, Memoirs of an Attorney General. Uh, Bill Barr here. Don't move. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors often running small businesses right in your community. Plus. They've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. A talk show that's real. 
This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Putin is angry and frustrated right now. He's likely to double down and try to grind down the Ukrainian military with no regard for civilian casualties. That was uh, Bill Burns testifying yesterday as CIA director, and so far it was pretty clear they wanted to quickly get in within two days, decapitate Kiev, the capital, and basically take the government hostage, put his own one in. William Barr, my guest right now, not only uh, is his book uh, One Damn Thing After Another out, he also is a conservative thinker, uh, understands the political landscape, not just a great legal mind. Uh, Mr. Attorney General, what do you think Putin does now from, how, from what we've seen so far? I think Burns was right. I think uh, he has bit off more than he can chew and there's no exit ramp for him. And he's going to – I think he's just going to double down and and grind this out uh, to try to claim uh, military victory. But then he's going to be stuck with uh, guerrilla warfare, continued casualties. You're working with Bush 41 Mm -hmm. when the wall comes down. And we have a post-Cold War. And it's Mikhail Gorbachev and then it's Boris Yeltsin. Yeah. And from what you saw then, as we tried to help them become a capitalist country, I thought, uh, and they ended up being a lot of corruption, oligarchs, and um, and, and not being the people never felt that uh, that capitalistic thing that we we right. maybe take for granted. Having said that, do we have a Putin problem or do we have a Russia problem? Uh, I, I think we have both. In that, uh, Putin represents a certain strand of Russian thinking. Uh, and Russia's cultural history, which is they conceive of themselves as a great power. They're generally very paranoid about people uh, in coming from the East or the West. Uh, and uh, they were humiliated by the end of the Cold War. And so he is interested in building up Russia more. Uh, and I think that's why he has broad support in Russia. But I think that's going to evaporate. Because I think they have had it. The Russian people have had enough of a taste of sort of the Western style of life that they're not going to like what they see when they're being strangled economically. This MIG situation you says is indicative of what? The fact that we can't get 29 outdated 1980s MIGs into the Ukrainian – the country of Ukraine or struggling to is indicative of what? Indicative of what? I think it was a major mistake by by Biden not to put those uh, plane and other planes and other hardware in. Earlier, we knew what was – he knew what was coming. He knew that he was facing a potential invasion of Ukraine by He told Russia. everybody. Right. And yet the only way to deter that would have been to flood in lethal aid, including planes. Uh, now we're in the middle of the war. It's more risky to put those planes in. I'm not saying I'm against it, but it certainly has raised the risk for us a lot. And that's the kind of step that we could have taken beforehand that might have actually def- – deterred the attack along with more missiles and so forth up front. You understand Trump's language sometimes gets him in trouble when he said originally when when he started moving on the Ukraine, he said this is brilliant in Trump terms. What did he mean by that? Well, I don't always understand what he's saying. You know, he does have this tendency to admire certain strongmen. I mean, that's a fact. Erdogan and Putin and, and, and Xi, there's something he admires about them and their decisiveness. And uh, I think that's what he was referring to. Right. Yeah. But people like to jump on that. Yeah. And then say yeah. he's out of touch. But what he's trying to say is 
you can be evil and make a move that's in your best interest, right? He, but not in the world's interest, right? He views things as transactions, and it's a series of transactions. And I, from my observation, his basic move in transactions is you get the jump on the other guy and you put him at a disadvantage right up front. So they're so they want to negotiate away the advantage you've just seized right at the beginning, right? So what I think he was saying was Putin's smart because. Right. He's, he's jumping on it quickly. I have another job for you, press secretary for a second Trump term. I'm going to see what I can do. You can work with Kaylee. I'll see you in the hall. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. What they're doing with this bill is even even amid the torrential downpour of nonsense that we get from these people, it manages to stand out because what we know about them is, look, the left, they're they're very they're, they have no integrity. They're, they're liars. They're also good at branding. So they've they've taken this bill and branded it the "Don't Say Gay" bill. When not only does the bill not do that, it the bill doesn't even mention the word "gay" anywhere in it. It all it says, as uh, the governor points out, is very specifically that you cannot, there cannot be classroom instruction by a teacher about gender identity or sexual orientation for kids up to the up to grade three. And that was Matt Walsh talking about Governor DeSantis says, well, Florida generated Governor DeSantis to sign a bill that people label don't say gay bill. What they're trying to do is stop talking about gender and sexuality to kids that don't know anything about it in kindergarten, first, second and third grade. That is causing outrage. Governor DeSantis not backing off. William Barr, my guest, his book is out one damn thing after another. Memoirs of an attorney general. Enough said. Uh, Mr. Attorney General, how do you feel about this bill? Will it stand this test of scrutiny? Because the federal government is threatening to take some money or financing away if it goes through. I think it will withstand scrutiny even if it takes getting it up to the Supreme Court. And I think it's an entirely reasonable bill. It's very reasonable to say that kids at that kind of tender age, that subject matter shouldn't be raised and taught in school at that point. Are you amazed that we have to have this conversation? I am. I am. What happened with education in your mind? You have a long view of it in your book about what happened to the American education. We had a public school system right. that welcomed um, Christian Judeo values. Right. So there was no reason to really uh, do what Europe has done. Could you right. expand on that? Well, the, the Western tradition has been that that moral formation and moral education was the job of the parents and the church, and it wasn't the state's role to to tell you know tell people what the good life was and and make men in their own image. And uh, but then when we established public schools in the middle of nineteenth century. Uh, the religion that was taught there was was basically consistent with with the mores and the beliefs of most Americans. Up until 1960, 95% of the American people identified themselves as Christian. And the schools were basically Christian. They taught the Bible. They said the Lord's Prayer and so forth. Then starting in the 1960s, they tried to secularize school by stripping out Christianity. And then starting under you know, the Obama administration, it was more like indoctrination. It wasn't taking out Christianity. It was putting in something else, something else that tells someone why uh, why to be good. In other words, if you say to someone, thou shalt not do this, then you better be able to explain why. And once you do away with Christianity, how do you tell people why? They started affirmatively putting in ideology, alternative ideology like 
critical race theory or transgenderism and things like that. Some anti-American views. Right, anti-American views. Uh, and so the, the state doesn't have any business doing that. The state doesn't have any business. And, you know, what's we- weird is, you know, the original settlers in the United States ran away from uh, England because of religious liberty. But how, does the, how did the English run uh, school? Choice. They pay for everyone's education and as long as the school is accredited, you can send your kid to a Church of England school, a Catholic school, a Hindu school, a Muslim school. Which means you think we should head in what direction? Vouchers. I think, I think in a pluralistic society, we can't have the state hostile – to the traditional beliefs of the people and undermine the authority uh, and the religion of a family by teaching these these uh, you know, ideological doctrines, and so I think we need to have school choice. And that's do you think part of the the organic uprising that we saw last midterm election with yes. people of Virginia and others saying, "What are you teaching my kid?" Right, and I'd like to see more governors aggressive on this. And the other part of it is. You know, I've said the, the systemic racism that exists in our society is the public school system in the inner city and, and how we're warehousing these uh, uh, black children in the inner city and not giving them school choice. We should be having school choice, charter schools, parochial schools. Let the parents decide. And you see them line up for these yeah. uh, other schools, these alternative yep. schools. Um, my view of you and Mike Pence were the two MVPs of the Trump term. Well, thank you and, very much. And I don't think there's any question for people that wanted to see – I want to see every president successful. But for somebody that knew Donald Trump 20 years before, I never claimed to be great friends with him. But he was always, we always were very respectful, covered him even when he was um, when he was promoting fights, when I had no idea he was going to be in that. Mm-hmm. But to see you come in and steady the ship like you did and to see Mike Pence provide the congressional background and understand how the, the – the, the, uh, you know, how everything ran in Congress and what he did in Congress right. was un- indispensable. Yes. What does it say that both those people are really not on speaking terms with the former president who wants to be president again? Well, I, you know, I think one of the things about Trump is it's hard for anyone to have a durable relationship with him unless you are essentially dependent on him. I can't think of anybody that's lasted very long in any relationship with him who's an independent person. And uh, I think that speaks to him. Uh, I think that he has many, many strong points, but he also has failings, and that's one of them. And when he doesn't handle criticism or people right. that push back against him. He wants him. people to tell him what he wants to hear. Um, you really said the clown show around him mm-hmm. after January – after the election to January 6th led him down that path. Do you think that he did – he took their advice – or do you think he kept people around that agreed with him like Jenna Ellis and Rudy Giuliani uh, and others? I think he, he's more comfortable being told what he wants to hear and I think they were telling him with great gusto that exactly what he wanted to hear. Most, most of it was you know, false but he uh, was guided by it. Did you take Rudy Giuliani aside and say, Rudy, you know this isn't true. No, you I didn't. You know there's nothing there. No, I didn't. Do you wish you did? No, because that would have been a scandal. You know, the attorney general privately talking to uh, Rudy Giuliani. Oh, you thought that would have been overstepping? But did you ever question his lawyers and say, what are you basing this on? I I looked at this thing. I have my whole staff look at this. Uh, Or is there such a separation that you can't? Well, they no, they they through through appropriate channels, you know, they let it be known what their arguments were and we looked at what their arguments were and there was nothing to them. I mean a lot of them were just completely silly and based on false information. 
I mean, the president repeated it as recently as January 13th this year where he said that uh, his big piece of evidence about fraud was that more people voted in Philadelphia than there were registered voters in Philadelphia. And that was completely wrong. Completely wrong. And And you looked at it with a fresh set of eyes and if there was something you would have spoke up. Absolutely. You know, I I wanted him to win re-election. I went in – I – went in and and uh, it was to be uh, it was rough for me to go back into government and I did it and I wanted him to win re-election I would have been happy uh if there was evidence not happy in the sense that uh, if it turned out that he did win but he did not win the election and if he had won would you want to stay Actually, no. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been one and out. Yeah. Right. You landed yeah. the plane after the Mueller report. Right. Uh, like, I don't think anybody else would have. Uh, one damn thing after another. Memoirs of an Attorney General. It's going to be a bestseller for a long time. And I'm so glad you came in. Hopefully, I'll talk to you on One Nation this weekend. Sure. Thank you. Uh, Thank it's you very great much. to meet you in person, yeah. Mr. Attorney okay. General. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.